Chapter Two, Part One of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of Paris by Eugène Sue. Chapter Two, Part One: The Rendezvous determined at all risks to warn madame d'harville of the danger she was incurring rodolph had quitted the winter garden without waiting to hear the remainder of the conversation between sarah and her brother thus remaining ignorant of their designs against fleur de marie and of the extreme peril which threatened the poor girl but in spite of his earnest desire to apprise the marquise of the plot laid against her peace and honour he was unable to carry his design into execution for madame d'harville unable to bear up longer after the trying events of the evening had abandoned her original intention of visiting the entertainment given by madame de nerval and gone direct home this contretemps ruined his hopes nearly the whole of the company present at the ambassadress's ball had been invited to that of madame de nerval's and rodolph drove rapidly thither taking with him m de grand to whom he gave instructions to look for madame d'harville among the guests and to acquaint her that the prince having something of the utmost consequence to communicate to her without the least delay would walk onwards to the hotel d'harville and await her return home when he would say a few words at the carriage door while her servants were attending to the opening of the entrance gates after much time spent in fruitless endeavours to find madame d'harville de grand was compelled to return with the account of his ill success this failure made rodolph despair of being able now to save the marquise from impending ruin his first thought had been to warn her of the treachery intended and so prevent the statement of sarah which he had no means of keeping from the hands of m d'harville from obtaining the slightest credence alas it was now too late the infamous epistle dictated by the countess macgregor had reached the marquis d'harville shortly after midnight on the night in question it was morning and m d'harville continued slowly to pace his sleeping apartment the bed of which gave no indication of having been used during the night though the silken counterpane hung in fragments evidently proving that some powerful and devastating storm had possessed the mind of its owner the chamber in question was furnished with elegant simplicity its only ornaments consisting of a stand of modern arms and a range of shelves furnished with a well-chosen collection of books yet a sudden frenzy or the hand of ungovernable rage had reduced the quiet elegance which ordinarily reigned to a scene of frantic disorder chairs tables broken and overset the carpet strewed with fragments of the crystal lamp kept burning through the night the wax lights and gilded chandelier which had contained them lying around gave manifest evidence of a fearful scene m d'harville was about thirty years of age with a fine manly countenance whose usual expression was mild and prepossessing but now contracted haggard and livid he had not changed his dress since the preceding evening his throat was bare his waistcoat thrown open and on the torn and rumpled cambric of his shirt-front were drops of blood his rich dark hair which generally fell in curls around his face now hung in tangled wildness over his pale countenance wholly buried in the misery of his own thoughts with folded arms drooping head and fixed bloodshot eyes m d'harville continued to pace his chamber then stopping opposite his fireplace in which spite of the almost unendurable severity of the frost of the past night the fire had been allowed to expire he took from the marble mantelpiece the following brief note which he continued to read over and over with the most eager attention by the wan pale light of the cold glimmer of an early winter morning to-morrow at one o'clock your wife has appointed to meet her favoured lover 
go to the rue du temple number seventeen and you will obtain every requisite confirmation of this intelligence from one who pities you whilst reading these words perused with such deep anguish and sickness of heart so many times through the long midnight hours the blue cold lips of m d'harville appeared convulsively to spell each syllable of this fatal billet at this moment the chamber-door opened and a servant entered the man who now made his appearance was old even grey-headed but the expression of his countenance was frank and honest the noise of the man entering disturbed not the marquis from his bitter contemplations he merely turned his head without altering his position but still grasped the letter in his clenched hands what do you want inquired he sternly of the servant the man instead of answering continued to gaze with an air of painful surprise at the disordered state of the room then regarding his master more attentively exclaimed blood on your clothes my lord my lord how is this you have hurt yourself and all alone too why my lord did you not summon me as of old when these attacks came on be gone i entreat your lordship's pardon but your fire is out the cold is intense indeed i must remind your lordship that after your late your will you be silent leave me i say pray do not be angry my lord replied the trembling valet but if your lordship pleases to recollect you appointed m doublet to be here to-day at half-past ten and he is now waiting with the notary quite proper said the marquis with a bitter smile when a man is rich he ought he should look carefully to his affairs fortune is a fine thing a very fine thing or would be if it could purchase happiness then resuming a cold and collected manner he added show m doublet into my study i have done so my lord marquis then give me my clothes quick i am in haste i shall be going out shortly i-but if your lordship would only do as i desire you joseph said m d'harville in a more gentle tone then added is your lady stirring yet i have not yet heard her ladyship's bell my lord marquis let me know when she rings i will my lord heaven and earth man how slow you are exclaimed m d'harville whose raging thoughts almost shaped him into madness summon philip to assist you you will keep me all day my lord please to allow me to set matters a little straight first replied joseph sorrowfully i would much rather no one but myself witness the state of your chamber or they would wonder and talk about it because they could not understand what has taken place during the night my lord and if they were to find out it would be a most shocking affair would it not asked m d'harville in a tone of gloomy irony thank god my lord not a soul in the house has the least suspicion of it no one suspects it repeated m d'harville despondingly no one that's well for her at least well let us hope to keep the secret and while joseph was occupying himself in repairing the havoc in his master's apartment d'harville walked up to the stage of arms we before mentioned examined them with an expression of deep interest then turning towards joseph with a sinister smile said i hope you have not omitted to clean the guns which are placed at the top of the stand i mean those in my hunting-case i had not your lordship's orders to do so replied the astonished servant you had sir and have neglected them i humbly assure you my lord they must be in a fine state your lordship will please to bear in mind that it is scarcely a month since they were regularly repaired and put in order for use by the gunsmith never mind 
as soon as i am dressed reach down my shooting-case i will examine the guns myself i may very possibly go out shooting either to-morrow or next day i will reach them down directly my lord the chamber being by this time replaced in its ordinary state a second valet de chambre was summoned to assist joseph his toilet concluded m d'harville repaired to his study where the steward m doublet and his lawyer's clerk were awaiting him we have brought the agreement that my lord marquis may hear it read over said the bowing clerk my lord will then only have to sign it and the affair is concluded have you perused it m doublet i have my lord attentively in that case i will affix my signature at once the necessary forms completed the clerk withdrew when m doublet rubbing his hands and looking triumphantly exclaimed now then by this last addition to your lordship's estates your manorial property cannot be less than a hundred and twenty-six thousand francs per annum in round numbers and permit me to say my lord marquis that a rent-roll of a hundred and twenty-six thousand francs per annum is of no common occurrence nowadays i am a happy man am i not monsieur doublet a hundred and twenty-six thousand livres per annum surely the man owning such an income must be blessed indeed sorrow or care cannot reach him through so golden a shield and that is wholly dependent of my lord's funded property amounting at least to two millions more or reckoning exactly i know what you would say without reckoning my other blessings and comforts why heaven be praised your lordship is as rich in all earthly blessings as in revenue not a precious gift but it has been largely bestowed upon you ay and such as even money will not buy youth uninterrupted health the power of enjoying every happiness amongst which or rather at the head of which said m doublet gracefully smiling and gallantly bowing place that of being the husband of so sweet a lady as madame la marquise and the parent of a lovely little girl who might be mistaken for a cherubim m d'harville cast a look of gloomy mistrust on the poor steward who revelling in his own ecstasy at seeing the princely rent-roll committed to his charge exceeding all others in magnificent amount was far from perceiving the scowling brow of his master thus congratulated on being the happiest man alive when to his own view a verier wretch or more complete bankrupt in happiness existed not striking m doublet familiarly on the shoulder and breaking into a wild ironical laugh m d'harville rejoined then you think that with income of two hundred and sixty thousand livres a wife like mine and a daughter resembling a cherubim a man has nothing more to wish for nay my lord replied the steward with honest zeal you have to still wish for the blessing of lengthened days that you may be spared to see mademoiselle married as happily as yourself ah my lord i may not hope to see it but i should be thankful to witness you and my honoured lady surrounded by your grandchildren ay and great-grandchildren too why not excellent monsieur doublet a regular bossus and philemon idea you have always a capital illustration to your ideas you are too good to me my lord has your lordship any further orders for me none stay though what cash have you in hand twenty-nine thousand three hundred and odd francs for current expenses my lord marquis but there is a heavy sum at the bank belonging to this quarter's income well bring me twenty thousand francs in gold and should i have gone out give them to joseph for me does your lordship wish them for this morning i do within an hour the gold shall be here you have nothing else to say to me my lord no monsieur doublet 
a hundred and twenty-six thousand francs per annum wholly unencumbered repeated the steward as he was about to quit the room this is a glorious day for me to see i almost feared at one time that we should not secure this desirable property your lordship's most humble servant i take my leave good morning monsieur doublet as the door closed upon the steward m d'harville overcome with the mental agony he had repressed thus far threw himself into an armchair leaned his elbows on the desk before which he sat and covering his face with his hands for the first time since receiving the fatal billet gave vent to a flood of hot burning tears cruel mockery of fate cried he at length to have made me rich but to have given me only shame and dishonour to place within the gilded frame the perjury of clemence the disgrace which will descend upon my innocent child can i suffer this or shall i for the sake of her unoffending offspring spare the guilty mother from the opprobrium of an exposure then rising suddenly from his seat with sparkling eyes and clenched teeth he cried in a deep determined voice no no blood blood the fearful protection from laughter and derision ah full well i can now comprehend her coldness her antipathy wretched wretched woman then stopping all at once as though melted by some tender recollection he resumed in a hoarse tone aversion alas too well i know its cause i inspire her with loathing with disgust then after a lengthened silence he cried in a voice broken by sighs yet was it my fault or my misfortune should she have wronged me thus for a calamity beyond my power to avert surely i am a more fitting object for her pity than scorn and hatred again rekindling into his excited feelings he reiterated nothing but blood the blood of both can wash out this guilty stain doubtless he the favoured lover has been informed why she flies her husband's arms this latter thought redoubled the fury of the marquis he elevated his tightly compressed hands toward heaven as though invoking its vengeance then passing his burning fingers over his eyes as he recollected the necessity that existed for concealing his emotion from the servants of his establishment he returned to his sleeping apartment with an appearance of perfect tranquillity there he found joseph well in what state are the guns in perfect order please to examine them my lord i came for the purpose of so doing has your lady yet rung i do not know my lord then inquire directly the servant had quitted the room m d'harville hastily took from the gun-case a small powder flask some balls and caps then locking the case put the key in his pocket then going to the stand of arms he took from it a pair of moderate-sized manton's pistols loaded them and placed them without difficulty in the pockets of his morning wrapper joseph returned with the intimation that madame d'harville was in her dressing-room has your lady ordered her carriage my lord i heard mademoiselle juliette say to the head coachman when he came to inquire her ladyship's orders for the day that as it was cold dry walking if her ladyship went out at all she would prefer going on foot very well stay i forgot i shall not go out hunting before to-morrow or probably next day desire williams to look the small travelling britchka carefully over do you understand perfectly my lord it shall be attended to will not your lordship require a stick no pray tell me is there not a hackney-coach stand near here 
quite close my lord in the rue de lille after a moment's hesitation the marquis continued go and inquire of mademoiselle juliette whether madame d'harville can see me for a few minutes joseph obeyed yes murmured the marquis i will see the cause of all my misery my disgrace i will contemplate the guilty mask beneath which the impure heart conceals its adulterous designs i will listen to the false lips that speak the words of innocence while deep dishonour lurks in the candid smile a smile that seemed to me as that of an angel yet tis an appalling spectacle to watch the words the looks of one who breathing only the sentiments of a chaste wife and mother is about to sully your name with one of those deep deadly stains which can only be washed out in blood fool that i am to give her the chance of again bewildering my senses she will look at me with her accustomed sweetness and candour greet me all guilty as she is with the same pure smile she bestows upon her child as kneeling at her lap it lisps its early prayer that look those eyes mirrors of the soul the more modest and pure the glance d'harville shuddered with contempt the greater must be the innate corruption and falsehood alas she has proved herself a consummate dissembler and i-i have been the veriest dupe only let me consider with what sentiments must that woman look upon me if just previous to her meeting with her favourite lover i pay her my accustomed visit and express my usual devotion and love for her the young the virtuous wife the tender sensible and devoted mother as until this wretched moment i would have died to prove her can i dare i trust myself in her presence with the knowledge of her being but too impatient for the arrival of that blessed hour which conveys her to her guilty rendezvous and infamous paramour oh clemence clemence you in whom all my hopes and fondest affections were placed is this a just return no 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 again repeated m d'harville with rapidly returning excitement false treacherous woman i will not see you i will not trust my ears to your feigned words nor you my child at the sight of your innocent countenance i should unman myself and compromise my just revenge quitting his apartment m d'harville instead of repairing to those of the marquise contented himself with leaving a message for her through mademoiselle juliette to the effect that he wished a short conversation with madame d'harville but that being obliged to go out just then he should be glad if it assorted with madame la marquise's perfect convenience to breakfast with her at twelve o'clock and so said the unhappy m d'harville fancying that after twelve o'clock i shall be safe at home she will consider herself more at liberty to follow out her own plans he then repaired to the coach-stand contiguous to his mansion and summoned a vehicle from the ranks now coachy said he affecting to disguise his rank what's o'clock all right master said the man drawing up to the side of the footway where am i to drive to let's have a right understanding and a look at the clock why it's as close and half after eleven as may be now then drive to the corner of the rue saint dominique and wait at the end of the garden wall which runs along there do you understand yes yes i know m d'harville then drew down the blinds of the fiacre the coachman drove on and soon arrived opposite the hotel d'harville from which point of observation it was impossible for any person to enter or quit the house without the marquis having a full view of them one o'clock was the hour fixed in the note 
and with his eyes riveted on the entrance gates of the mansion the marquis waited in painful suspense absorbed in a whirl of fearful thoughts and maddening conjectures time stole on imperceptibly twelve o'clock reverberated from the dome of st thomas aquinas when the door opened slowly at the hotel d'harville and madame d'harville herself came timidly forth already exclaimed the unhappy husband how punctual she is she fears to keep him waiting cried the marquis with a mixture of irony and savage rage the cold was excessive the pavement hard and dry clemence was dressed in a black velvet bonnet covered with a veil of the same colour and a thickly wadded pelisse of dark ruby satin a large shawl of dark blue cashmere fell to the very hem of her pelisse which she lightly and gracefully held up while crossing the street thanks to this movement the taper foot and graceful ankle of madame d'harville cased in an exquisitely fitting boot of black satin were exposed to view it was strange that amid the painful and bewildering ideas that crowded the brain of d'harville he should have found one thought to waste upon the beauty of his wife's foot but so it was and at the moment that it was about to separate them for ever to his eager gaze that fairy foot and well-turned ankle had never looked so charming and then as by a rapid train of thought he recalled the matchless loveliness of his wife and as he had ever believed till now her purity her mental graces he groaned aloud as he remembered that another was preferred to him and that the light figure that glided on before his fixed gaze was but the hollow spectre of fallen goodness a lost degraded creature hastening to steep her husband and infant in irremediable disgrace for the indulging of a base and guilty passion even in that wretched moment he felt how dearly how exclusively he had loved her and for the first time during the blow which had fallen on him he knew that he mourned the lovely woman almost equally with the virtuous mother and chaste wife a cry of rage and mingled fury escaped him as he pictured the rapture of her meeting with the lover of her choice and a sharp darting pain quivered through his heart as he remembered that clemence with all her youth and beauty her countless charms both of body and mind was lost to him for ever chapter two part one read by celine major